It's Friday, the 13th of September. I'm Anthony Day. This is the Sustainable Futures Report. This week's episode is devoted to a matter of principle. Would you be arrested for your principles? Would you go to prison for your principles? I recently met Zoe Cohen, who believes that she should go that far to protect herself, her family and indeed the rest of us from the risks of catastrophic climate change. She was arrested in London at the Extinction Rebellion protest at Easter. She's appeared in court and goes to trial next month. In the meantime, she's going down to London to take part in Extinction Rebellion's October protest. We had a wide-ranging conversation. Here's what she told me. Let me start by introducing you, or perhaps asking you to introduce yourself, because um, you are a uh, highly experienced coach, and in fact your role in business has been much broader than that, because you've been uh, a board-level director in some pretty large organisations. So although you have got a very strong interest in the environment and the climate crisis, that is not your profession you are more concerned with um, the success of business, if that's fair. And I think you'll uh, agree that if we don't actually solve the climate crisis, nobody's got a future in anything. Um, I would certainly agree with the latter, <laughs> your, your latter sentence there, Anthony, definitely. Um, yeah, my, my, uh, I would say I'm kind of probably in my third career now. My first career was as a director in the NHS. Mm-hmm. Uh, Types and different sizes of NHS organisations, um, and I was kind of board level for nine years in um, organisations of different shapes and sizes and, and significant turnovers. Um, and then I set up my own executive coaching practice and have run my coaching practice for a decade. Um, so that's kind of very much my second career, which I would say I'm still in. Um, but um, I, for the last uh, nine months or thereabouts I've been transitioning into what is probably my third career I always thought I'd have a third career I must admit I thought it would be a yoga teacher but it's not a yoga teacher <laughs> maybe that'll be my fourth career my third my third career which is largely unpaid but is um is as climate activist so um I, I'm doing both I'm wearing both hats uh, very much executive coach and you know director of, a, of, a, of a, my own small business um and uh more and more climate activism which is large. Uh, yes, and, and of course you went to London in, uh, at Easter when Extinction Rebellion decided to try and lock down central London and you demonstrated your, com- your commitment to the cause to the extent that you were arrested um, and you've already appeared in court once and I believe you have to go back for trial in October. Now that's quite a, a step because I think anybody would describe you as a highly responsible member of society and all of a sudden you are getting arrested um and um and you are standing up to them and saying no well tell tell me what your position is um my position i I was smiling to myself when you were saying all of a sudden i was standing up i was actually sitting down on the floor (laughs) i was actually sitting on the ground in parliament square peacefully roadblocking um but yes and and um I made the decision to go public about my arrest and court uh, plea hearing, um, which happened at the beginning of August. 
I deliberated long and hard about it, but um, I decided to go public because I really want to normalize um, people from all walks of life being part of a non-violent direct action movement like uh, like Extinction Rebellion. Um, and you know, being totally honest with yourself and uh, any lovely people who are listening to this podcast, Anthony, um, I'd never been involved in nonviolent direct action before, before I got involved in Extinction Rebellion. I've been passionate about um, sustainable development, uh, you know, kind of global justice, the environment, non-human species as well as human justice, et cetera, et cetera, since I was little. Um, and I've done things outside of my work life, um, you know, in a voluntary and community sense from a very young age in all sorts of ways. Um, and like many people, a substantial number of people, I think, who've become involved in Extinction Rebellion. And, and I, I talk to and train a lot of people and, and I, a lot of them have similar stories that, um, you know, they've been trying to tread lightly on the planet most of their lives and trying to do their not just do their bit, do way more than their bit. Um, uh, plus do, you know, community activism or, you know, that kind of stuff. And uh, I think in the recent months and years, many of us have realized that that's just not enough. I don't think it was ever enough, but we believed it was enough or we do believe that these, these small things together could add, add up. But, um, you know, we have more than enough data to tell us that that's just not the case. Um, and, uh, it, uh, thank you for saying I'm an upstanding member of the community or whatever language you used, Anthony, but, uh, you know, I am a, an educated professional woman. I've got three master's degrees. I, you know, I, I know one end of a bit of science from another and um, I'm not a climate scientist, but um, I've got enough training and experience and expertise to believe the science when I see it. And, um, you know, I genuinely believe uh, that the message that Extinction Rebellion and others whether that's Greta Thunberg or whether that's a whole bunch of climate scientists like uh, Kevin Anderson and others um, say that, you know, we are in an absolute emergency situation. And if we want to have any chance of averting utter catastrophe, we've got to do an awful lot now. Um, and it involves a level of changing our lives and lifestyles way beyond what governments and politicians are owning up to. Right. Okay. Well, since the, uh, protest at Easter, the government has paid lip service, I think, and no more uh, to the problem because they've uh, changed from an 80% reduction in carbon emissions by 2050 to a 100%. And 2050, of course, is way, way out. Uh, okay. They've also said that they're going to set up a citizens' assembly. But this is, again, this is talk. Nothing's actually been done. And unfortunately, as we well know, the present government is fixated on one single issue uh, to the uh, exclusion of all else. Yes, that's probably Extinction Rebellion <laughs> is going to go ahead and try and lock down London again uh, on the 7th of October. We have a much more right-wing Home Secretary now and the Metropolitan Police was saying it's going to take a very hard line. In fact, it is taking a hard line in that it is charging everybody that it arrested. So... Will you be going down on the 7th of October? What do you see as the future for all this? Um, I definitely plan to, Anthony, along with thousands of others. Um, uh, and I, it might sound all highfalutin or whatever people think, and, I, and uh, but I genuinely believe that personally and as a mother and a human, I have a moral obligation 
I genuinely believe I have a moral obligation because you know, lots of people around the earth are suffering already and have died or are having extreme suffering from all sorts of climate impacts already and ecological impacts. Um, you know, I've got a 16-year-old daughter. She's a big part of why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, and the same sort of motivation goes for many parents, grandparents that I've met along the way. And, you know, the, the 76-year-old grandma who was arrested when I was arrested in Parliament Square and, and more besides. And, um, you know, I genuinely feel that I, as a parent, I have to look my daughter in the eye, knowing what I know. It's like once you actually really absorb the scientific truth, I cannot not act. So when I stand up and speak for Extinction Rebellion, which I do, you know, I, I give um, the heading for Extinction Talks and I train other people to do those talks around the Northwest and beyond. And when I do that, I genuinely introduce myself by saying, I can't not do this. I can't not be involved. Um, it is a, it is a, a drive to, to act, which is so strong because um, a big chunk of that is about being a mum. Okay, okay. But leaving aside whether or not Extinction Rebellion will be successful later this year, do you believe that we, we are in time to actually be able to change things? Or do you, have, you, have you heard what uh, Guy McPherson and Jem Bendel say, which yeah. seems to suggest it's all over? Yeah. I, um, it's the million, million, million dollar question, isn't it? Or whatever the right phrase is nowadays. Um, I think I think I've got several answers to that or versions to that answer, Anthony. Um, uh, I have I haven't read um, Guy McPherson's book, but I have watched a number of his YouTube um, videos, and I've read um, obviously Jen Bendel's deep adaptation and watched some of his stuff as well. Um, and I think Jen's not quite in the same place as Guy McPherson, is he? He's not quite in the same place of um, uh, immediate. You know, near-term human extinction he's more in the place of uh, actually we're, we're heading for social collapse but we don't yeah. know beyond that. so they're not quite in the same place is my understanding um i uh, i'm probably not far off jen bendel's position but i guess uh, where i come the position i come from is that just for me personally and i think this is an evolving situation so i'm not putting a line in the sand saying this is how i'll always feel because things are evolving and you know we haven't got time we've got for so little time to start making major major change before we really really won't have time um so um all the very recent evidence with the very scary melting at the arctic and the greenland ice sheets and stuff seem to be pointing to what a number of people and a significant number of people feared that the ipcc was far too conservative and behind the curve and that things are happening much quicker than they said they would and you know, that was a critique that was, has been around for a while anyway. Um, so, but to actually experience, not directly experience, because I'm not on the Greenland ice sheet, but to actually read, you know, uh, with the benefits of global media and social media now, one can see things pretty quickly. And, um, you know, there is so much horror going on right now with the rate of melting, the rate of, um, uh, only just literally earlier on today, I was looking for some uh, news, uh, stuff come out on the fires in the Amazon. So not only is the Amazon being mm. cut down at an extraordinary and ever-increasing rate and nearing its own tipping point, but there are thousands of fires going on in the Amazon right now, um, as well as the enormous fires in the boreal forests you know, the, uh, in Russia and so on. The scale of this is just huge. And um, 
uh, I, I think there's quite a possibility that we've gone past the point of no return, but yeah. we don't. I, I, we don't know it, and it's probably impossible to absolutely prove. And why spend our time trying to research and prove that rather than actually just acting? Because you know we don't know for sure where the exact tipping point is. Uh, I I don't know for sure where it is. We, you know, there's the Hot House Earth scenario that was published last year, where um, the writers that they thought it was about two two degrees, didn't they? A two degree warming will hit into a Hot House Earth um, scenario where tipping cascades will set off changes that we won't be able to act on. Uh, some people, I've, I know some people believe that we have um, a number of locked in, it's not some people believe, it's, it's, there is a range of signs out there that showing that we have a, a number of locked in temperature increases. So for example, when, when the particulate matter clears out of the atmosphere, um, you know, from, from reduction of fossil fuel burning, etc., that that clearing of the air will get a one-off warming hit because we're actually being slightly masked by this by, from the sun's energy by that particulate matter. So um, I, I personally think we were heading for way beyond 1.5 degrees. I cannot see that we're going to be able to limit that. And, you know, I think I think anyone who feels like we could meet that 1.5 degrees must be in some sort of denial or collusion because, you know, you just have to look at the Keeling curve. You know, you just have to look at the parts per million on the Keeling curve and it's going up and up and up and it's, uh, and you know, last year's emissions, May 2018 to May 2019, was the highest emissions ever in a 12 month period. So, you know, these data points don't show any sign of, of, flow, of, of slowing down. Um, but at the same time, it's easy to think things are good by reading, you know, people want to read smiley happy stuff and Yes, there's a, some G7 meeting about to happen in some posh place of um, the world's leading fashion houses about looking at sustainable fashion. And I just shared it uh, on LinkedIn just earlier today. And I, you know, I just, I'm afraid I'd possibly come across a little bit cheeky when on some of my LinkedIn material, but I think it needs to be said, you know, that these people can agree all sorts of things, but at the end of the day, consumption's got to go down. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so I suppose answering your question, going back to your point, what do I actually believe? Um, I, part of me thinks we probably have gone past the point, but I'm choosing to not allow that part of me to be the majority because it would prevent me from acting. Um, and my, as a, you know, as a more attempting to be a moral being with integrity, I have to hold on, not in a sort of blind hope thing, but hold on to it, to the sense that we don't actually know for sure. So we better bloody well, excuse my language, but bloody well do as much as we possibly can to have a chance. And also, if we don't know exactly where the dipping point is, what, what, what I feel is clear when one really thinks about it and connects emotionally and in a pragmatic sense, is the journey from here to there, wherever there is, is going to be full of bleeding misery. I mean, <laughs> that, and we need to try and, you know, try and make whatever that journey is as human and humane as we can without... Um, allowing what's happening in the world to keep on going, which is, you know, obviously the rise of the rights and fascism and mm. all the rest of it, which is just, uh, and being, and coming from originally from a Jewish background with um, uh, grandparents, some grandparents coming and escaping from um, Nazis in Europe and so on, that, you know, that sort of stuff chimes chords with me big time. Um, and I don't want society to go in that direction less but it's already heading in that direction, isn't it? There's so many signs, and as resources get more scarce, it's going to prompt more of that. So I don't want that world. 
Um, so, it, you know, I think all of these things go hand in hand and trying to wake the third year to get this before it's genuinely too late is, I, you know, there's very little that comes above that in my priority list, to be honest. When I do presentations, people come up to me and say, well, what can I do? Yeah. That's that's a very difficult question to answer, I find. Uh, the, the answer I take is basically support governments and urge governments to take action because it's only governments that can take the action of sufficient magnitude to uh, have any effect. But what would you say? Oh, it's a good question. And I also get asked that kind of question on a regular basis. Um, uh, and that's why that's one reason why I wrote the um, the article that I did on LinkedIn in about May time. I wrote an article on how to declare your own, your own climate emergency, um, partly to speak to that question. Um, but and I think like most things in life, it's multifactorial and it's a both and. Because I, I also find I think there's well so in a lot of a lot of conversations I have, what what shows up is a kind of triangle, if you don't mind the spatial metaphor that people talk about in you know, it. There's, there's government, there's business and corporations, and then there's public and consumers, and that those three points of a triangle. And depending on what, you know, and they're all humans, they're all people in all of those, and all those people are usually inhabit more than one space because everyone's a consumer. But depending on what hat a person's got on, they blame the others. <laughs> they blame, they, we can't, you know, business, we can't do anything, business can't do anything without government setting, setting the, the, the framework. Um, governments don't want to change until enough consumers or voters want change. So they just go round and round the bloody triangle blaming each other. But I think actually, as I've gone through lots of reflections in recent months about all of this, I think it's not actually a triangle, it's a square or a rhombus or whatever, because the fourth point is the media. So I think the media have an enormous role to play, hence some of the other stuff that I've posted on, on LinkedIn. And the media have an enormous role to play, an enormous um, obligation. Um, and um, if I worked in the media, I'd be pretty. I find it pretty hard to look myself in the mirror right now. No, if I hadn't, you know, done done my duty. And there's so few media outlets who've done their duty on this stuff, and are do, and are justified, you know, doing what's right now. But I, I think so. I think all the my short answer to coming back to what can individuals do is is take action on on all of those fronts. So I. Of course, we need system change. Without system change, we can't decarbonize the energy supply, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And all of the things that they can't completely change the, the agricultural system and turn linear economy to a circular economy. Of course, we need bigger system change for that. But that, from, from where I sit, and I know some people say individual action is pointless. I don't believe individual action is pointless. Um, I think it's both. Um, because at the end of the day, to get... <laughs> If we are to get system change, whether that's carbon taxes, meat taxes, reduction on flying, changes in food production, whatever, 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 we, you know, you can preempt what what needs to happen and start doing it. <laughs> so why wait for government to create taxes and incentives and, and disincentives? Why not just start doing it? So I think we can start. You know, that's how. So I don't, I'm not, I don't fly anymore, etc., etc., etc. Because actually, it's going to have to stop. So I may as well stop it before someone makes me stop it. <laughs> so I think there's that piece to it. I think there's also a kind of change maker piece to the individual action that, you know, if we are, if we not only make changes in our life, but tell our friends, family, communities, business partners, et cetera, et cetera, that we're making these changes, that helps to get the conversations out there. So I've had all sorts of conversations with people about the fact that I'm not flying anymore, for example. 
um, or whatever else I've, mm. I've done or doing. But I think we personally, I would absolutely say on top of all of that, that that for, for everyone who feels that, that in any way they can support movements like Extinction Rebellion or Christian Climate Action or whatever, you know, um, climate activism movements they can, school strikes or whatever, that in any way people should support those movements if they feel that they can in any way, whether that's directly um, be, you know, being involved directly in any way, of which there are lots of ways to do without being arrested, or whether it's donating or whether it's just sharing stuff on social media or what, you know, as much as possible because, um, you know, these movements are not extremists. And we know from history and the social sciences that system, systemic large-scale changes do not happen through being polite. <laughs> and they do, you know, they don't even really happen through the ballot box. They happen through non-violent direct action. And, you know, there's plenty of research that shows that over, over um, decades and decades, that that's how significant system change happens is through uh, non-violent direct action. And I hadn't, you know, I hadn't bodily engaged with all of that until the last year. Um, but it just totally makes sense. It's logic, it's logical and as well as emotionally sensible. Um, you know, emotionally, I'm totally engaged in this stuff, as you can probably tell. But actually, I'm also a pretty logical, rational, geeky kind of person. <laughs> and, uh, and it does rationally make sense. You know, the data... The data well, 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 I shall be down in London on the 7th of October. Yeah. Uh, I will uh, avoid getting arrested, I'm afraid. Uh, the, I, I did hear somebody from Extinction Rebellion who was asked, well, what should we do? To which he said, that's not our role. It's just to stimulate government to do things. I thought that was a bit of a cop-out, but perhaps he was in a minority. Um. Okay, yeah, that, that this this kind of question comes up quite often um, in conversation about exiles. So, um, this is so Extinction Rebellion doesn't, you know, we don't see our role to dictate to people what specifically what changes need to happen. Um, uh, for many reasons, one is that there are lots of, you know. Clever people and scientists and uh, researchers and so on who've worked out what needs sorts of changes that need to happen, like project drawdown, etc. They're just not happening. So it's not the question of what needs to happen; it's the question of the need to happen. Um, a bit like you were saying when, uh, before in our conversation, it's the action we're short on, Anthony, not the words. So, um, uh, and as an as a movement, Exile uh, doesn't want to dictate because actually, you know, we need. We need more and better democracy, not less democracy. So that's why the um, third demand is there in terms of having citizens' assemblies to uh, be legally binding for uh, to create informed uh, informed policy guidance for government that government needs to actually use to guide its actions based on the evidence and based on you know a randomly selected representatives body of the population um, who don't have to make short-term decisions um, mm. because of course we know that our current system not only the first past the post which doesn't help very much either but also the, the short-termism um, does not allow and doesn't encourage any thinking longer than two three four years and if ever long-term thinking was needed you know it's this we need to be thinking not just decades but um, generations ahead and longer because you know, just from the sheer fact that CO2 can last hundreds, if not thousands of years, we've got to be thinking long term and we've got to think, turn this super tank around in a 
in a way that requires a level of human leadership that we've never seen before. So it's actually an inspiring opportunity for humans to be their absolute best. But in order to have that, you know, we, we need to have, uh, we need the truth to be told um, so that people genuinely understand the truth. And clearly there's a lot more awareness of climate issues now in, in from the media, but there's still an awful lot of lack of understanding and misunderstanding of the actual nature and um, scale and pace of, of the urgency. Um, so we need action, not words. Um, and you've got a conference coming up, the Ethical Consumption Conference, uh, Avoiding Greenwash, because there is a big temptation in the corporate sector to be seen to be doing something, although it may only be superficial. Yeah, um, so, well, thank you for mentioning that, Anthony. Yeah, it's, um, it, it's actually not a conference. It's not that big, but it is an event. Um, so one of the hats that I wear, as well as... Um, exec coach and um, XR activist and whatever is as um, the lead for the Greater Manchester area for a network called Women in Sustainability. So uh, um, I've been involved in that for a few months now and um, it's a network um, which is across the UK and expanding out, uh, internationally as well and um, it supports women who work in or want to work in any aspect of sustainability to um, build their resilience, their personal development, their um, ability to make a difference, um, as well as their own you know, career and opportunities, but to, to make the difference that they want to make, really. Um, so we have events every two or three months in the, Man in the centre of Manchester. And yes, you're right, this next event coming up in the middle of September is uh, an event specifically around ethical consumption and avoiding greenwash. Um, that's one of the topics that uh, our members highlighted that they'd be interested in. So we've got a really great speaker, Joanna Long, from the Ethical Consumer uh, Organisation, coming to talk about about that. And it'll be a, it'll be a really good event. I think it, uh, for me, avoiding greenwash is so important because mm. there's, it's an absolute bandwagon now, isn't it? It's an absolute bandwagon, um, uh, and can, I think there's a lot of disinformation and a lot of consumers who can who will gen, you know might be influenced by bits of greenwash when if you actually knew the, knew the re reality that it would be far from the truth. Right, so if people contact you via LinkedIn, uh, you can give them the details of this, can you? Yes, absolutely. Yes, I've, I've recently reposted um, the advert for the event. So yeah, the, it, they'll either see it on the feed or they can contact me on LinkedIn and I'll happily share the details. Um, they're really friendly. It, it is a, a women in sustainability event, so it's a women's networking event. So any guys, please don't please don't contact me, but please do pass it on to contact female female colleagues. Um, and uh, yes, I'd be really pleased to to welcome um, more members. It's a really friendly and um, uh, confidential space. Um, so yeah, delighted to do that. Zoe, thank you very much for taking the time this afternoon to talk to the Sustainable Futures Report. There's a tremendous amount of information there. Um, I applaud you going to the XR event in October in London. I'll be there. I hope other people who listen to the Sustainable Futures Report will be there because you've laid out the fact that it is so, so important that we get some very, very significant and fundamental actions uh, taken otherwise we have got a very very bleak future thank you mm. thank you Anthony and uh, look forward to perhaps having a follow-up podcast later on in the year right that'll be great Zoe Cohen I'll certainly keep in touch with Zoe and we'll see how her court case turns out
Unfortunately, all this seems so unreal at the moment, at least in the UK, where, as I commented last week, we are going through a constitutional crisis with an obsessive fixation on leaving the EU. We need to get the government's attention on the climate crisis. Much more than attention, we need action. As Zoe said, we know from history and the social sciences that systemic large-scale political changes do not happen through being polite. I'm almost lost for words when it comes to ending this episode. It is so difficult to persuade people to examine the detail of their views on Brexit, even without trying to change their minds, that it makes me very pessimistic about persuading them to accept that changes are needed to meet the climate crisis. Still, it won't stop me presenting this message. It won't stop a lot of people from coming together in London and all over the world next month to continue to call for action. Don't forget, next week, next Friday, the 20th of September, there will not only be another Sustainable Futures report, but another school strike. This looks like a big one. It's going to cause argument and it's going to cause debate. At the very least, let's all work together to keep the conversation going. That's it for this week. I'm Anthony Day. That was the Sustainable Futures Report. As I said, there will be another episode next week. I'm not sure what it'll contain, but I have a couple of interviews coming up which should link stand-up comedy, self-driving cars and archaeology with the climate crisis. All will be revealed once I've finalised the details. Before I go, thank you for listening. If you're a patron, thank you for being a patron. If you're not and you'd like to be a patron, then go to the website, patreon.com slash sfr, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash sfr, where you'll find all the details. I'm Anthony Day, and that's it for another week. <laughs>